He is risen. We'll be in Romans today. Uh, Romans chapter 6, actually. I'm going to look at a passage there. Um, I want to do it again. He is risen. It helps me. Um, that, um, that exchange, right? That back and forth, that, that greeting um, comes from uh, something that this guy named Luke wrote down. Uh, he's tells this story um, about these two guys. Uh, a few days after Jesus has died and been crucified, um, they're um, traveling to this town. They've been in Jerusalem, and they're traveling to this town. It's about seven miles away. Uh, it's called Emmaus. I don't, you know, we don't know why they were going there. Maybe they are going back home after the Passover feast. Uh, maybe it was a Costco run. We don't know, right? And so uh, they're headed back uh, down this road, and um, they're talking about all that's just happened, right? The craziness of what's just happened. Like, uh, not, just, not just the craziness of Passover, right? Which Jerusalem, like, tripled in size or more. Like, it just, not just that, but also what had happened um, that the Jewish leaders uh, had turned Jesus, this man that they knew to be a guy who helped people and who taught with like amazing power about God, and clearly empowered by God, these great teachings of God. And uh, they turned him over to the Romans. The religious leaders turned him over to the Romans and the Romans crucified him. And, and they probably were talking about, you know, how scary this was, right? Because if they came after Jesus, right, would they come after his followers? So they're walking down the road, um, and they're having this conversation, and then uh, this guy walks up beside them and, and starts traveling with them, uh, and it's Jesus, uh, but they don't recognize him because um, he was in disguise. I, you know, he was wearing a uh, members-only jacket and parachute pants and Ray-Ban wayfarers, and so they didn't recognize him. I'm kidding. He wasn't in disguise. I, I actually think it's like they don't recognize him. Their eye, it says the Bible says their eyes couldn't see, uh, and um, they were kept from recognizing him. I think this has a lot to do with uh, his resurrection body. Right, something no longer confined by time and space the same way. So anyway, they, they, can't, they don't recognize that it's Jesus. And he's, they're walking along and they're having this conversation. They're hashing this out. Uh, and Jesus, uh, Jesus all of a sudden goes, what are you guys even talking about? And they stop dead in the road. And they, they hang their heads and they get really sad. And they go, are you the only person in the world that doesn't know what just happened in Jerusalem? And Jesus goes, what happened? Uh, and then they begin to tell Jesus all the things that had happened to him, you know, uh, how he was arrested and how they tried him and how he was crucified and that they buried him. And they tell him how it was so messed up because they had really believed that he was going to be the one that would save Israel. They really believed that he was going to be the one that rescued Israel. And then they tell Jesus to make it even worse, to more confusing, more insane. They tell him that some women uh, that are part of their group had gone to the tomb and uh, where Jesus was, was buried and his body was gone. And not only that, they had some kind of, I don't know, vision or something and, and these, of angels that said that, that he's alive and, and we don't even know what to do, man. Sure enough, man, some members of our group went to check and, and his body's not there. Like, we don't even know how to process this and think about what's happened the last few days. And Jesus says, what are you, dummy, slow? 
Sounds like I'm making that up, like I do that a lot. I do that a lot of times, but that's what, look at what he said uh, in Luke 24. Um, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart. I told you, you didn't believe me. He says, it's dummies. What are you, slow? And then he begins as they walk to unpack like all of the things. And Jesus is just going through the Old Testament, the scriptures, and saying, like, look at all the prophets said and, and all of the poems that were written and all of the wisdom literature that was written and even like the rules, even the laws. Those were all about the Christ that was gonna have to come and die. How you guys miss that? Like this had to happen this way. And so they're walking and they finally, they get to where they're going and they, they're like, look, man, this is where we're staying. And Jesus is like, cool, I'm out. And they're like, no, 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 please come in and stay. And he, they beg him to stay. And he's like, all right. So they come in, he comes in and he sits down with them and they're about to eat. And Jesus takes the bread that they're going to have. And, and just like he had done a few days ago with the disciples before he's crucified in the upper room, he takes the bread and he breaks it and he prays over it. And at that moment, their eyes are open and they, they see and they recognize Jesus and Jesus looks at them, and he points, and he winks, and then he disappears. All right, I made that part up. I mean, not the really strange part. He really did disappear, uh, but the winking part I made up. Uh, but like he just, like they recognize him, and he's like, poof, he's gone. And so these guys jump up from the table, and they go hustling back to Jerusalem. They're like, forget that Kirkland's wine. We got to go. And so they're like running uh, back to Jerusalem, and... Uh, they get there, right? And they find, they get back to Jerusalem, they find the 11 apostles and, and all the disciples and they're in this room and they bust in the room and they are, they're, they're out of breath, right? Because they've been running probably and they're, they're probably out of breath and all of a sudden the whole crowd turns around and looks at them and goes, he is risen indeed. And they say, oh man, we want to tell you. Like we just saw him and we just like, oh, you know what? We should have stayed and got that churro. And... um they begin to tell these stories about all that they've seen and how people have met Jesus and how he's appearing to people. And it is this beautiful, beautiful story. I, I do wonder how long it took before people started asking questions. Right? Because you've got questions now, right? I mean, Jesus just rose from the dead, right? Like, people have seen him and verified him. They're saying, it's true. It really happened. We know it happened. He is risen. It's such an encouraging thing, right? It's a communal thing. It is a thing that is encouraging, and it is a a thing that we need to remind each other of always. But they had to have questions, right? I mean, uh, at some point, somebody's got to go, hey, what does this mean about Jesus, right? Like at some point you're like, the dude rose from the dead. Like, what does this mean about him, right? That all that he said was true, that he is what he says he is, he did what he said he was gonna do, like, yeah. And then somebody's gotta ask like, what do we do now, right? What's gonna happen now? Like he rose from the dead, what will happen now? Is there gonna be a fist fight between him and Pilate? Like cage match, you know? With the high authorities? Like, who knows? Like, what's, what's about to happen when a guy comes back from the dead? And then somebody eventually started asked, had to have asked the question that was on everybody's mind, but probably everybody was too embarrassed to ask. They didn't want to seem selfish, right? But at some point, somebody had to get around to asking, 
what does this mean for us? Right? I mean, everybody was thinking it, right? The first person that asked it, though, probably was like, you know, like, hey, guys, like, I got a question, like, what does this mean for us? And, like, everybody else who was thinking the same thing was like, ugh, way to make Jesus' resurrection about you, Josiah. They were homeschooled, you know. You know, weren't allowed to have Mountain Dew or read National Geographic. So, what does this mean about Jesus? What is it, what's it about to happen? But, but at some point, we have to get to the question, like, what does this mean for us? And we've been talking about that for the last 2,000 years or so. This guy named Paul, he wrote about this, um, what it means for us. Um, Romans 6, I'm going to start in verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For no one who has died, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul says that we are by faith. So when we see Jesus for who he is, right? We believe what he says. We see the beauty. We see what he's done for us. We see the grace and mercy. When we see what God is like in Jesus, and we believe what he says is true. Because Christianity is, it's not a set of moral, uh, it's not a moral construct, a set of rules that we have to follow to be better human beings. Christianity is in, in a very real sense just the way we believe the world works, right? The Bible is just saying like, here's how the world works. And, and so when you come to Jesus and you see who he is and you say, you know what? I am yours. I'm not going to make my own decisions anymore. Uh, I am yours. I am not going to pursue my own fulfillment day after day. It's not been going so great anyway. When we come to him and say, I am yours, shape me. Teach me how the world works. Teach me how I work. Teach me how I'm supposed to love and what I'm supposed to love and how I'm supposed to ha- what I'm supposed to hate. Te- teach me how to be in the world. When we, by faith, come to him, Paul says, and the rest of Scripture affirms this, that that we are so tightly knit to Jesus, that we are united to him in such a way that what can be said about Jesus can be said about us. 
That's what Paul's saying. That the reason it matters to you and me that Jesus rose from the dead is because we are knit to him in such a way that what can be said about him can be said about us. What can be said about him is that he died. And in the Bible, the death, uh, death is so often not just a physical phenomenon. Death is very much always the consequence of sin. So since Christ has suffered the consequence of sin, it has been poured out on him by grace. Those of us who are united to him, that can be said of us. The consequences of sin have been paid. I'm so tightly united with Jesus Christ. I'm so knit up with him. Not only am I knit up in his crucifixion, but in his resurrection as well. That he was raised to live a new life. The life of God flowing into him, the eternal life in him, now flowing into us, that we now live a new life, no longer having to be held down by pursuing our own passions and the sinful disobedience that we just get trapped in. We are now free from that and we can live a whole different life with life flowing into him. It matters that he rose from the dead because what can be said of Jesus by those of us knit to him can be said about us. That is miraculous. Also, this is the first question of Christianity, by the way. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Like, it's, it's like Paul says in some other place, he's like, yeah, like, of course it matters that he actually, I don't want, not a metaphor, but really rose from the dead. Does it matter that he really rose from the dead? Paul says yes. The rest of the Bible says yes. As a matter of fact, Jesus goes to great lengths to prove to people that he's risen from the dead. Like he pops into the middle of the room. People are like, ugh, a ghost. And they like freak out, right? And Jesus is like, ugh, I'm hungry. Give me something to eat. Why? Because ghosts don't eat, right? That's a, you know, they don't have bodies, right? If Casper showed up at Halloween and was like, I'd like some candy, he'd be like, mm, are you really a ghost? Because ghosts don't need food. And so the people are freaking out. And Jesus is like, ugh, feed me. And he eats. He makes breakfast for people. To one dude, he insists he touch him. He's like, here, man, put your finger right here on my side. I'm real. It matters that Jesus really rose from the dead because it affirms who he is. It affirms what he said is true and all these other, and because of what it means for us that we're united to him in that type of resurrected life, it matters. It's the first question of Christianity. I think most of us at some point come to Jesus with like question number like 912, you know? Yeah, uh, I like a lot of what you say, Jesus, but about what I do with my money, are you going to have some things to say about that? And it's like, stop asking question 912. Did he rise from the dead? We'll get to question 912. So many people today come like, ah, what what am I going to do? There's these things that I've heard that you insist about how I behave and how I act and what I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's question 1,496. Did he rise from the dead? Let's start there. Because if he didn't, who cares about any of the other things? Paul says it this way. Paul says if he didn't rise from the dead, we're not going to rise from the dead. Eat, drink, and be merry. Have a good time. Nothing matters. But if he did rise from the dead, if question one is true, well, that kind of shapes how we walk through the rest of the questions now, doesn't it? It means something that he really rose from the dead. I think that we are, all of us, all humans, that we are united in some deep, mysterious way to something by faith, right? Let's just pick some obvious examples that we use all the time, right? 
if you think, if I just work hard enough, the American dream, let's use the American dream. If I just work hard enough, I can have all this stuff, blah, 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 and we unite yourself to the American dream, right? And, and that's going to be the thing, and I pursue it. Whatever it is that you unite yourself to is the thing that you believe is going to bring you fulfillment. What you're seeking is shalom, right? This whole life peace, right? This whole life centeredness, this whole life fullness. That's what we're looking for in all of these things. And whatever it is we unite ourselves to, it's the thing that just begins to tell you what to do, whether you even realize it's telling you what to do or not. You know what I mean? For example, if you run into me on an average day and you're like, Chris, how was your day? And I say, it was, man, it's been a really good day. What I mean is I got a lot of stuff done today. I don't even think about it. I just feel good when I get a lot of stuff done because I've so united myself to the idea that my productivity matters. I mean, it is, dude, I, it took me like, I don't know, six, seven years to tell people I was a pastor because it felt unproductive to me. I'm so united to the idea that my value is wrapped up in my productivity, I don't even think about it. It's just what tells me what to do. It tells me what to be busy. It tells me not to sleep. It tells me not to rest. It tells me all types of things. I don't even have to think about it. That voice is in my head, and I believe that in my heart. We are united to something. So the question that we ask ourselves is the thing that we are uniting to ourselves to, the thing that tells us what to do without us even really thinking about it, did it rise from the dead? My productivity didn't rise from the dead. My need to be liked by you did not rise from the dead. Because that's a dumb thing. It's not a person. It's a thing. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. Why am I giving myself to it? Jesus really rose from the dead is question one. It is the foundational thing. Because if he did rise from the dead, man, a lot of truth flows out of that about how I live. The reality of the world is different now because of that. It is a thing that we all long for. The whole world longs for resurrection. And the resurrection of Jesus from the dead in time and space matters because it tells us not only is it possible, it really happened. And the power that raised Jesus from the dead flows into us when we unite ourselves to him. That same resurrection power, that same eternal life, the Bible says flows into us because of our union with Jesus, that it will also one day raise us. That's the promise. Because Jesus rose from the dead. And it's not just that it matters in the past. It matters. Look, it gives us hope. Right? Because of what happened, because he really rose from the dead, it gives me hope for the future. Hope is essential for living. It gives us so much freedom. I'm going to say a weird thing, a little controversial. Don't be nervous, it's fine. Uh, I think it, maybe this is just me, I think it gives us the freedom to hurt more. If you have faith in Jesus, I think it gives you the freedom to actually suffer more. Here's what I mean. Uh, been through tragedy uh, like, all, like every, all of us have been been through hard times and particularly this one time uh, uh, in an attempt to console us this, this person uh, brought us um, these things they're like hey here's you know here's a candle uh, for you to light and remember the loss and here's a, um, here's a, um, a walk we'll invite you to this walk every single year and we'll make you a member of a Facebook group uh, and I remember, if it had not been for my wife, uh, that I would have thrown someone out a window. Like I would, my wife handled the situation like very well, and I was just like, I don't know what to say except to toss you out of, out the nearest, you know, just livid. 
And here's why I was living. There's no hope in that. There's no hope in that. I, I, I don't want that. I, I don't want a candle. I, I don't want to walk. I, I, I certainly don't want to be a part of a Facebook group. I want resurrection. That's what I want. I, I, I want to see my dad again. I want to see Wade again. I want resurrection. And when you believe in that hope, when you have that hope, it lets you hurt more. Here's why. Because you don't have to use lies and wishful thinking to keep reality away. The reality is actually better. The reality is actually better than hopeful thinking and wishful and, and myths and superstitions. The reality is actually better. And since I know there's a resurrection, I can let the pain hit me full force. Because there's hope. I don't have to keep it at bay. It also frees me up to enter other people's lives. It frees you up to enter other people's lives, to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. You have more freedom to enter into people's lives and love them well because you know there is more in the future. There's more in eternity. There's a different kind of life available to you because Jesus rose from the dead. I know that I have a hope in the future. I don't want myths and lies. I want resurrection. What I'm trying to say is don't say stupid stuff at my funeral. I want it to be mostly reading scripture and veiled references to 90s hip-hop. Right? Chris was a baller. Shot caller. I believe in heaven he's got 20-inch rims on his Impala. I want that kind of stuff to happen. Right? Not, not like, I know he's still with us. Shut up. Don't say stupid stuff at my funeral. I want real hope offered. It it just helps us. It helps us along the way because this life doesn't just wait till we die. The Bible says it flows into us now. It flows into us and gives us an ability to live in a new way, a beginning, a new thing. The resurrection, Easter shows us that God's kingdom, which is coming, is moving forward, not in spite of patterns of death and resurrection, but actually through them. The way God's kingdom moves forward in your heart, in your family, in the church, in the city, in the world, is through patterns of death and resurrection. That's how the gospel moves. Easter shows us that. That's what Jesus was pointing to when he says, hey, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross and daily. Not just that we're united to him one time in his death, but that we now go through a series of deaths daily in our pursuit of following him. Here's what it means. It means that when I put to death in my own heart, the selfishness of pursuing my own happiness every day, when I put that to death to put someone else's above mine, when I put to death, and it feels like a death because it hurts, when I put to death that part of my selfishness, what grows back, what is resurrected in its place is greater than what was put to death. That's how it goes forward. 
The joy, the fruits of the Spirit that were promised, right? The Holy Spirit creates in our lives when we follow Jesus. Uh, joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, mercy, self-control, uh, gentleness, all of these things that grow in the life, they grow in the soil of the selfishness that we have put to death in our own heart. It's through patterns of death and resurrection that when we learn to forgive and forgiving hurts, if you've ever been really wounded, and like, it's hard for me to believe you're human if you've never like, been hurt so bad you didn't want to forgive. But when you put to death that in your heart, when you fight that fight every day, looking to Christ to show you how to do that, when you put that to death, what grows back, even if that relationship is never restored, what grows back in you putting to death that pride is far greater than what was put to death. The resurrection is greater than the death. It moves forward in relationships, in families, in churches. When we are hurt and wounded and we put to death our pride to see unity grow, something greater is grown in its place. I could give you example after example after example. That's how the gospel goes forward. It's how God's kingdom moves inside your thinking, inside your feeling, inside your family, inside your friends. It's how God moves. There's no death that Christ calls you to through obedience that will not lead to a greater resurrection. There is nothing that he calls you to that will not grow into something more glorious and lasting and eternal than what was there in the beginning. There's also no life that you find apart from him that's going to lead to anything but death. I think that a lot. That is right before the passage that, that, uh, that I talked about earlier, Luke 24, um, the women are at the, looking for Jesus and uh, <laughs> the resurrection and runs into Jesus and he's like, uh, where are we looking for Jesus? And Jesus says, why do you look for the living among the dead? And when we pursue things and give ourselves things and unite ourselves to ways of thinking and feeling and loving that aren't him, it's looking for life among the dead. A thing instead of a person. But uniting ourselves to him is this hope. It is this beautiful, beautiful thing that helps us live and understand that when we go through hurt and we go through wounds, that the things that we've done, the things that have been done to us, will never be the most important things about us. But that we've been united to Christ. It is such a help. The union of Christ doesn't mean you go through these things by yourself. It means that the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, that life that raised Jesus from the dead, living inside of us, he helps us. And God also gives us a community, a a godly community to give godly counsel, to lovingly correct that is close by in times of trial, that is there in times of triumph, that is there to forgive and love. We are given helps in this life as we watch it go forward through series of death and resurrections into something more glorious. This is the Christian life. This is the beauty of it, that we do not live in vain. We live with great hope, loving and pouring into others because of what has been given to us. New life, united to Christ, his life flowing into us by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we may now live new resurrected lives. So we're going to come to the table. 
just like Jesus on the night he was betrayed and like he did uh, before he disappeared with the people on the Emmaus, we're going to take the bread and we're going to break it and we'll take the juice and the wine and, and we will drink it uh, and we will celebrate his death and his resurrection and the life that we have by united. So if you are a believer, uh, we're going to, I'm going to pray and uh, we'll bring out the elements right here and you'll come by row, grab the elements, return to your seat and then we'll all take together as a family because it's a family meal. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you're invited to this table. If that's not where you're at, then my encouragement to you is to wait. Um, Reach out. I'd love to talk to you about it. But I'm going to pray, and they're going to bring the elements and set them, and uh, we'll have this family meal. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for (laughs) your kindness for the richness of your word for this day, that we are united to you in not just your death, but in your resurrection, that we live a, a different life now, uh, not bound by the things that have held me before, my passions and my ways of thinking, my struggles, my grief, not held by those things any longer, but held instead by you, all the things that I love and value. So today we celebrate you And at the same time, we long for resurrection. We, with the rest of creation, long for resurrection. To see those that we've lost, again, to see Jesus face to face. To meet our Savior. To bow down and worship. As we wait for all things to be made new. That's what we want. All things made new. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.